You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 172 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm I'm fine. I'm fair to middling. I'm all the things I usually am when you ask me this question. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to come up. I think we're going to have to come up with a new start to our podcast. <laughs> I think so. Uh, okay. I'll I'll I'll. I'll think of something. I'll yes, think of come something. up with a new plan. How are you what today, you, Val? Let's ask. Well, let me ask you first, because you're generally like much perkier than I am. <laughs> um, I am perplexed. What? I'm perplexed. Why are you perplexed? Well, I decided that I wanted to um, try out this. Well, I wanted to read this book, right? called The Art of Learning, which mm. is probably not surprising. I run the Australian Writers' Centre. Of, we're interested in learning. So I wanted to write this, I mean, read this book called The Art of Learning. And it's actually a memoir uh, um, about the guy who um, was kind of like a chess prodigy. His mm-hmm. name's Josh Waitskin. And mm-hmm. so I started thinking, oh, I'll, I'll just have a look at this book and, um, and, and see whether I can get it on Kindle or Amazon or audiobook or whatever. Mm. And so I found the audiobook for $24.99. This is probably in US dollars because it was on Amazon. Mm. Um, so I found the book for $24.99. I thought, oh, that seems to be a bit pricey for an audiobook, but okay, whatever. Then I found the Kindle book for six ninety nine, mm-hmm. but I could upsell to the audio by paying an extra three ninety nine. Mm. So it doesn't add up, does it? No, no, Val, no. Even with my basic math skills, <laughs> even though I w- I'm not a former accountant as you are, <laughs> I have no idea that. No, yeah, no, it's not working for me. Yeah, so I could have just bought the audiobook for twenty four ninety-nine or the audiobook and the uh ebook, I mean Kindle, for like, you know, ten dollars. So naturally, <laughs> naturally. I, I bought the cheaper option. Mm. But what's really good, and I know we've spoken about this before, but I never actually tried it, so I thought I'd try it and do a little review for our listeners. Yeah. Is we've previously spoken about um, whisper sync for voice. So that's yes. the thing where if you buy the book on Kindle and you upsell to the audiobook, 
you you get both, obviously, but often as as I do, I have um, my Kindle on many devices. I have it on my actual Kindle. I have it on iPads. I have it on iPhone. I have it in the Kindle for desktop. I have it everywhere, right? There's probably mm. 10 devices that <laughs> this is on, mm. uh, that the app is on. But what you can do is you can read it on Kindle and it does work. I've done it now. So uh, you can read it on Kindle and then I went for my walk yesterday because I'm trying to channel Alison Tate and go for walks <laughs> more often and I went for my walk and it recognises where I got up to on my Kindle reading it and it's and I press play to listen to the voice and it plays from that page. Gosh. And as it's playing from that page, in case I want it to, not that I would, it it, it's actually highlighting the words as I go, so I can read it as I go as well, but I'm not going to do that. I'm busy walking, looking where I'm going. And so you'll fall over your feet, yeah. Yeah, and then I can pause that and then later on I can go to my iPad, let's say, and open it on the Kindle and it's on the page that I got up to while I was walking, when I finished wow. walking. So it does work. It's pretty good. It's kind of spooky really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've only tried it on this one book, but um, I'm loving it. I, and okay. Yeah, so uh, and considering it's cheaper, <laughs> like less than half the price, well, for that book anyway, to get the audiobook and the Kindle, um, I could be, I could be a fan of this. It could be a new thing for you. And is it the same voice as, like, is it the is it the the same audiobook that you would have bought for twenty four ninety nine? I'm not sure. I believe it would be because this is the, it is this guy's voice. It's actually the author's voice. I just happen to know that right. because I listened to a podcast that he was on and it, it was his voice. So I'm assuming so. I can only, right. you know, tell by this one. So, yes, uh, I'm perplexed because I don't understand the pricing structure, but I'm very pleased that I'm going to use this thing from now on. Whisper Sync. Whisper sync. There you go. For voice. Yes. Does anyone else use it? Let us know. I'd be really interested about whether you've had any experiences along these lines. Definitely let us know. But in the meantime, we want to give a shout out to someone. To Peter. Yes. Peter has uh, said, Dear Val and Al, I have recently discovered the Australian Writers' Centre and I am loving the podcasts. I do not iron or dissect (laughs) insects. Dissect insects. <laughs> because a previous listener told us that they dissect insects while they listen yeah, to the podcast. Yeah, fruit flies, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, as being a Sydney cider, I am driving. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am now also learning a lot and loving the episodes. Thank you. I've just caught up with episode 165, which covered several interesting things, including showing me that I have bright, shiny object syndrome. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Everyone now has I, it. Don't worry. Well, it's true. And yeah. now I don't feel so bad. I love the approach of Kate Forsyth and have recently begun something similar. So uh, you may remember that Kate, we talked about how Kate Forsyth, every time she's got a new idea, she starts a new notebook for it, right? Mm. Um, So Peter says, although my discipline on the major work clearly needs development, my collected scraps are nowhere near the 140 novel mark and I love (laughs) that she managed to finish one and hopefully can go on to finish more, as I'm now off to do. Thank you for a brilliant podcast series. I look forward to learning more in my coming commutes. All the best, Peter. Fantastic. 
Yes. Thank you. Well, hello, Peter. I hope the traffic's not too bad today. Yes. Big hello to Peter and thank you so much for uh, letting us know your thoughts on the podcast. All right. Now, you don't get off scot-free, Al. I don't? Nah. What have you been up to? Uh, Well, you know, I I feel like I'm very, very boring at the moment because I feel like our conversations have just been the same thing for weeks and weeks and I've been talking about my difficult edit that I've been having. And you know what I realised on Friday? I was working through, uh, you know, look, everyone will be very happy to know that I'm nearly finished. Like that's probably, (laughs) I'm going to put us all out of our misery very, very soon. Um, But I realised that... Half of my problem with this whole thing, and I think that this is something that probably happens to lots of us, I kind of psyched myself out of this. I overthought it. I think I've been overthinking it, and and I'm sure you'll all agree with me because we seem to have been talking about it ad nauseum forever. Um, I think I've overthought it, and in overthinking it, I psyched myself out. And so what I actually have discovered is that since I've actually – You mean overthought the edit? I've overthought starting it. Yeah, I, like I, uh, I got so caught up in the – like I've, I've done a lot of – you know, obviously a lot of the work with an edit is done before you actually even sit down and do it. Um, yeah. But I got myself so caught up. I got really hung up on a couple of points that I knew needed to change. Like it was one of those situations where I, I just knew – it's a bit of that whole kill your darlings thing. Like I knew mm. that they had to go – and I was traumatized by the fact that they had to go and I was traumatized by what I would do it, do instead. Like that's the yeah. other issue that you have. Um, so I was kind of thinking about all these different things. And, um, and I think that what has actually happened is that, you know, the deadline has just hit me in the head because at the end of the day, I, I thought about it all too much and didn't actually do it. Um, so the deadline smacked me in the face and I had to sit down and actually just start shoveling words, which is pretty much what I did. And mm. then once I started doing that, once I, I felt better, like it's just bizarre. I felt so much better because I lopped 3,000 words off the start, which I knew had to happen, oh. but I wasn't quite sure how to do it. So I lopped 3,000 words off the start and I put all of those words aside and then I started to kind of weave some of that information into other bits of the book. And as soon as I actually started doing it, I felt better. So I think action Mm. can be your greatest salvation when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like it's hard because you do, you know, it is like anything. You shift one thing at the start of a novel and, you know, it has repercussions that go all the way through to the end of the novel. However, I would say this, that putting it off and and sort of like – trying to make it not happen isn't going to work, particularly when you have a deadline. Um, And that action is often the best course of action. (laughs) Yeah. And so was it as hard as you thought it was going to be? Well, yes and no. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the thinking is important because I did know what I, I I went to it with an, with an approach in mind. I wasn't just sort of trying things out on the page, which I think can be very, very hard with a novel because you, you do get yourself in an awful mess. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you start pulling things apart and suddenly you've got a pile of pieces that are sitting in a little mountain at one end of your table and you've got a, you're sitting there going, Oh, where do I even put these back in? Got this massive Mm. gap in the middle of your puzzle. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it has it's not been easy, and I. Th- but I think part of it is also. I think we talked about this last week. It's just. It's. I'm putting pressure on myself, and that's just ridiculous. I'm making it so much harder for myself than it needs to be. So anyway, I have begun. I've nearly finished. I've missed the deadline by a weekend, um, mm. but 
I, uh, I have another deadline. I'm heading off to Sydney this week to do a whole lot of school talks and um, author talks and various other things. So it's got to be done before I go. So that's it. That's all over. Like I'm just, it's we're we're well and truly into it now. It's all and and I won't talk about it anymore. As of next <laughs> week, I promise. <laughs> so when you do your school talks, because uh, you've done many now, mm. um, and when you do your school talks, do you only ever do the grades? that your book is suited to? I know no, that sounds like an obvious question, but I thought I'd ask. No, I, well, I, I prefer to speak to, it's kind of my comfort zone is probably grades, I think probably five to seven are my, are probably my comfort zone because that's, I tend to pitch my workshops and things like that at those grades. Um, yeah. So when I'm preparing, because I, 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 this time around I'm doing, um, I'm doing one author talk and I'm doing four workshops. Um, I've created a new workshop. And so I I do create them with a certain level in mind. Um, and I think, you know, so taking those workshops, I have gone to grade eight with them, but, I, you know, they're not – they're probably it's the level of of the um, of the content is is aimed probably most solidly at five to seven grades five to seven. But I have spoken to you know down to grade three and up to grade eight. Um, yeah. If I was going to do any higher grades, I would change the content altogether. I would probably go into years nine to twelve and talk about. Um, I'd actually probably do more feature writing stuff there. I think I'd be more right. comfortable yeah. with that um, because you want to use examples from your own books and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, you know, my my books really are. You know, grade eight is the is probably the top level of where I where I would put my books. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you've got a busy week. I do have a busy week. I do. And um, I'm right. sure you do too. Yes. Well, I thought I would share something that um, is also perplexing, like the pricing of the um, audiobooks. Well, no, it's not perplexing. It's actually really annoying. So I travel a lot, so I, I'm very familiar with Sydney Airport, right? Mm. Yes, you are. <laughs> I know you are. And I, when I get there, I have my little routine and, you know, I get my boarding pass or sometimes I've checked in beforehand and I have my little ritual that I do pretty much every time I catch a plane. And one of those things used to be going into the airport bookshop. So it used to be there. I think it was called Watermark or something. Mm. Um, it was there for ages and it had a cafe in there and it was really big and I used to browse and look at the blank notebooks and usually buy a book or have my coffee, whatever. And then I went there one day and it was gone. And soon after it was replaced by a huge makeup shop. Oh. As in, you know, just yeah, like yeah. makeup. Yeah, makeup, yeah. Cosmetics. But the annoying thing was it stocked none of the brands of makeup that I use. Oh, so no. it was useless to me, completely useless. So that <laughs> really wrecked my routine. Mm, but outrage. I was overjoyed recently when I went to the airport and the makeup shop is now gone and a bookshop is returned just, just as uh, I don't think it's the same um, brand of bookshop as it was previously but it's it's it looks just like the previous bookshop so great joy came back into my life and I was wandering through the aisles thinking whether I would order a cappuccino or a latte looking at books and then I came up upon this bank of 
like it was like um, I reckon four five meters of blank notebooks, and I am a sucker for blank notebooks. I love them so much, and I just love buying them constantly. But on the top of the shelf was this huge sign that said stationery, but it was spelt S T A T I O N A R Y. Oh, it was oh my. Oh my, I know. And not only once, it was there like five times across the five shelves. It was giant. So oh. it was just so stressful. <laughs> I know. Well, that I, I guess didn't. they weren't moving. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> now let me ask you this question. Did you go up to, were you that woman that went up to the counter and said, you've got the wrong word up there? Like did you go up and say, you know, it really needs to be an E. I think secretly I am that woman, but I held myself back. It was all I could do to hold myself back to say, you've got to change that. Do you think so anyone's told them? Oh, I hope so. But, yes, I didn't want to be that woman, you know what I mean? So it uh, who knows? Me, it astounds me that no one notices. Oh, like no one who works there, no one who – no one – and, of course, if you get it mixed up yourself, just remember that when you're thinking of stationery like blank notebooks and, and you know, letterhead and stuff like that, then think of the word letter and that's E-R. So it's stationery with an E-R. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking of st- a stationery object, then think of a parked car and both parked and car have A-R in it. So mm-hmm. it's stationery that's standing still. It's with an A-R. Right. Good. All right. Thanks for that tip, Val. You're welcome. Now, I have a link that's quite interesting and uh, to listeners, I I have not briefed Alison on this, so I'm just going to ask Alison the question first. Aren't you lucky, Al? Oh, jeez, I love it when you do this to me and put me on the spot. (laughs) I'm so ready, Val. Okay. So occasionally people will ask me this question and I found a post on it. So um, I'm going to ask you the question. And the question is... What is the difference between a writer and an author? Oh, jeez. It's a big question, isn't it? It's a book. Mm. To me, it's a book. Authors write books. Authors have books. Writers yeah. write all the things, write lots of different, can be writing a lot, any sorts of different things. But to me, authors have books. Yes. How's that? How's that? Does that make I sense? I like that. I didn't I call think... myself. I didn't call myself an author until I had a book published. A pu- oh, a published book. Published book. I didn't call myself an author, and I. What I, I still what call myself a writer. If you look at my Facebook page, and I'm still Alison Tate writer and that sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. I did not call myself an author until I had a published book. Yeah. Right. How about mm. this? A writer, an author, and a journalist. Oh. Well, I, I think journalists uh, ooh, ask questions. So to me, probably a journalist asks questions and then produces a, a feature or a news story based on that. A writer can write anything. Like a writer could be a copywriter. They could be a ghostwriter. They might write content. Yeah. They might write, you know, um, short stories. They might write, you know, whatever. But an author has a book to me. So- what is my, this is just my, and she's, seriously, people, she's putting me on the spot with this. So, you know, please <laughs> forgive me if I'm offending anybody out there. So, no, I have a question then. What if you've already written a full-blown manuscript? It just hasn't been published yet. 
I would say, I did not call myself an author until I had a published book. And I had got a book deal. I had many, many manuscripts up until that point. Right. I'm just, this is just me, right? Everybody has their, I think everyone has their own thing, but I did not call myself an author until I had a published book. And even then, you know, I didn't even call myself an author until I was published. I had several nonfiction books and I still didn't call myself an author until I had the Mapmaker Chronicles published. Are you serious? If you had several nonfiction books, you had authored those. I know, but it's just, it's, it's, I honestly, to me, it's like a personal thing. I think you, I, I think you know within yourself where your, uh, well, okay, your imposter syndrome is either enormous or not. My imposter syndrome is enormous. <laughs> and so therefore, you know, you go with what you're comfortable with. It took me ages. Yeah. It took me a long time to even call myself a writer. I was, you know, like when I was, um, yeah, I, you know, I used to tell people I worked at, in magazines. I didn't say I was a writer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. that's, that's the delving insecurities of Alison. Like, like we might, I'm having a counselling session here. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's what it's where you're comfortable, and I think you just you yes. know people. I mean, you know, if if you have a manuscript and it's and it's, it's finished, and you're sort of you know querying and stuff, then to me, you are an aspiring author or a mm. writer, whichever of those you like best. Yes, and I think you're right in that you need to call yourself what you are comfortable with. That's so yes. true because if you're not comfortable with it, with it you're not going to say it with any level of authenticity or confidence. That's right. That's so right. this post, um, so I would I agree with you in that I think the difference is a book and I think it's a bit weird when people say, oh, who authored that report, you know, like a oh, corporate yes. report, and I don't think it's necessary oh. to say that. Um, so I do agree that it's a book. So this post is on writing the the writing cooperative, and um, it's by someone called uh, Meredith Gould, and her simple distinctions. She says that a writer knows how to choose and use words to craft sentences into coherent text. That's pretty straightforward. Writers don't necessarily have to come up with great ideas or even a text central point as you were saying like copywriters they don't necessarily they're just given a brief you know what I mean Mm. um you could be in an ad agency and 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 be a writer so she says an author comes up with an idea and how to communicate it in book length form Mm -hmm. so I think that that is definitely the the distinction book length form Mm. this doesn't this post doesn't discuss journalists however I would say that a journalist is a writer who who adheres to journalistic principles, mm. principles and ethics. Um, so, yeah, you're right. They ask questions, they interview people, they present a balanced case, all that kind of stuff. So ju- journalistic mm. ethics. Um, but, yeah, I think that some people are scared to call themselves an, an author or, or, or may have imposter syndrome. Um, and it's such a real thing and I'm ex- – imposter syndrome, that is – and I'm seeing it more and more. I did a talk earlier this week uh, on how to build your profile and it was – you know, seven steps on how to build your profile. There were actually, I shared more than seven tips, but um, there were countless really, 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 in my mind, practical and useful strategies and tips 
But one of the things, some of the feedback I got back was that the most valuable thing they took away from the talk, even though I thought the tips were probably the most valuable thing, they were saying that the most valuable thing they took away from the talk was my discussion on imposter syndrome and Mm. that it's such a real thing to them and that they've, they've, valued that um hearing that they're not the only ones out there with it no so it's a real thing isn't it like oh definitely it's and and it's a it's an interesting thing because it's a it's a thing that goes across you 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 meet people who who look from the outside incredibly successful and they're doing their stuff and whatever and they have it and you just go yeah if you're not if you're not the actual thing then what are we all doing here do you know what I mean I, yeah. don't, I don't get it. Um, I and people, yeah, I don't know. It's. I think a lot of us have it and I think, you know, the, the only thing that you can do is carry on regardless, basically. Yes. Mm. Now, you have an interesting link for us about I, writing tools. Is that right? I do. I actually have a shout-out as well because uh, mm-hmm. Yasmin Lomax and Yas, I, I think it is Yasmin um, as opposed to just Yasmin, um, mm-hmm. Yasmin Lomax who has written a lovely post in which she talks about the a series of unexpected writing tools it's called and it's on her blog, yasminlomaxwordpress.com and she okay. um, talks about the fact that she that there are a lot of, you know, great books and, you know, Microsoft Word is a terrific tool because, you know, basically what you've got to do is write the book at the end of the day. Um, but she talks about the fact that she gets her sort of inspiration and and information from um, some unexpected sources, one of those of which is uh, uh, podcasts, including ours, which is why I'm saying thank you so much for the shout-out, yes. Yasmin. Uh, but she talks about the fact that um, – she, how much she enjoys our author interview segments because she loves hearing other writers talk about their journeys, about how they write their books, about how they got, you know, their novels published and all of that kind of stuff. You know, she wants to be one. So she's listening to the stories of those people who have, you know, have managed to kind of grasp that, that brass ring. Um, So that's one tool. She also talks about Pinterest as a really useful tool for writers. And she talks about the fact that it's not just for redesigning your bedroom, (laughs) planning your future (laughs) wedding, or finding recipes. Um, So she heard uh, an interview that we did with Rachel Lucas, who, of course, uh, was a few episodes ago. She's a UK-based author who had and I remember having quite a conversation with her. She has this massive following on Pinterest and we talked about how she used it. But um, Yasmin is also using it. She's using it for not just finding fantastic writing information and tips because there is a lot of it out there. Pinterest is a really good source, a very good resource for people looking for particularly, you know, specific things. If you're looking for how to write dialogue or how to do – there are posts and they are out there and they are on Pinterest and it's really worth having a look at what's, um, what she can find. But she also uses it to, you know, represent the world of her current work in progress. You know, she puts up pictures of people who look like her characters and places where yeah. she's been and all that. Um and of course, she also uses secret Pinterest boards. And if you haven't got onto secret Pinterest boards, it's really worth having a look because you you create a secret Pinterest board. You can put anything you like in there, but it's not open to the public. So it's a it's yeah. a really good place to collect resources for any sort of upcoming works you might have or anything you're researching at the time that you don't necessarily yeah. want everyone to know about, but you want them all in one place. Um, and then the last tool that Yasmin talks about is Spotify. Hang on, do you have do you have secret Pinterest boards? I do. Okay. I do have secret Pinterest boards. 
Um, yeah, they're very, very helpful because you'll often see an article or something. It's, it's probably um, you probably use another tool for this because you have so many of those techie things going on in your life. Um, but for me, um, and I know people, you know, use um, uh, what's it called, Scrivener for it. You know, they keep all their research together in uh, in their Scrivener project and stuff. I use a Pinterest board for mine. I put you know okay. resources and articles and information and inspiration or anything that I'm working on. Um, Oh, so and the, the last tool is um, Spotify. She uses it to oh, basically yeah. create a playlist of songs that she she said ones that you'd like in your novel's eventual film score, which I think is a really lovely way of looking at it, yeah. or ones that capture the mood of certain um, of certain scenes. So uh, you know, I, I I think the one of the keys to take away from Yasmin's post is that um, there's a, I think, you know, we get very focused on the fact that, you know, there's books out there about writing and there's, you know, all of that sort of stuff and people collect books and I've got a million writing books and we love them. But there are actually other things that will help your writing that might come from unexpected sources. And I think it's it's worth being open to those things because you never know what's going to be that little key that's going to unlock you know, your process for you and get you to the end of writing the book or whatever it is that you're going to do. Is there anything that you use, Val, that's, you know, a bit unexpected apart from your um, rope art? <laughs> no, well, actually something that comes to mind, it's not that I use it, but uh, your reference to Spotify reminded me of it. I remember uh, speaking, chatting to Michael Cunningham, who, of course, wrote The Hours, um, you know, with the, the movie with Nicole Kidman and a number of other very successful books. And uh, he was saying that one of the first things he does, because he actually goes to a separate office that he rents, like not mm-hmm. far from his home. Mm-hmm. It's like an apartment, but it's just his little office. And one of the first thing he does is put on the, the, the specially chosen music for that particular novel that he's writing. And he blasts that music and he that's how he gets into the zone, that's how he gets into the characters and how he gets into the place and the setting. So mm-hmm. it can be useful if you want to create a playlist that's appropriate for your era or your mood or your place uh, to, to really, you know, get into the right mindset so that you can start writing. Um, but see, to me, that's also – so the, I think one of the most – I remember writing a blog post uh, last year maybe last year, um, and I think we've talked about this before, but I think a really unexpected tool, I think I think that it's unexpected to people who are perhaps just starting out with writing or they're um, not, you know, or, you know, not as far along the path, but I think one of the most unexpected writing tools is routine, and I think that it sounds right. to me like Michael's is as much yeah. about routine as it is about anything else um, because yes. I think people expect writing to be so free and easy and to be so of the moment and to be so I'm waiting for the muse and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But I actually think that one of the most valuable tools of every every single working writer that I know is routine. And I think that yes. um, newer writers can be surprised by that. Um, it's not until you've sort of like been doing it for a while that you realise the value of kind of doing the same thing all the time because it gets you in that zone quicker. You find yourself in, you know, you'll find your way to the muse as opposed to waiting for the muse to come to you. And I think that that's that's definitely worth thinking about as well, creating for yourself some kind of routine, even if it is only playing that, you know, yeah. That same th- those same three songs when you sit down every time or whatever it is that you do. Um, but it's it doesn't have to be a long and involved, 
you know, I have to have three whiskeys and a donut in bed. Remember that one? That was a classic. Yes. I have to have three whiskeys and a donut in bed before I can get possibly right word, which I personally but, think is quite lovely but not practical. But um, on that point, I suppose my unexpected writing uh, tool, which is so often part of my routine, is food. So well, I, I reward yes. myself. The Bunnafee pie. You, we haven't heard about it for a while. You haven't been rewarding oh, no, yourself it, lately. It's, it's coming up this week but that I'll, I'll talk about that next time but okay. if I have a chunk like you know quite a hard uh, writing project or or, or or a chapter I need to finish or some kind of milestone I will have my little little food rewards and it doesn't have to be as massive as banoffee pie because that's massive it might just be okay if you finish this 3,000 words by three o'clock, or doesn't have to be by by three o'clock. Whenever you finish, you can have that parmesan or that scone, which are my current, you know, go to. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Great. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Anyway, so um, to our competition for this mm-hmm. week, shall we? Okay. Yes. All let's. right. We have four copies of Behind Her Eyes by Sarah Pinborough to give away. Now, Behind Her Eyes has been called the new girl on the train or gone girl, and Stephen Mm. King described it as pile driver domestic thriller with pull the rug out ending. Gosh. Goodness. Wow. Okay. So if you want to enter, then you could win one of four copies. Just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win and entries close on the 22nd of May. But don't worry, if you go to that URL in the future, there'll be some other competition that you can enter. So that's writerscentre.com.au slash win for Behind Her Eyes by Sarah Pinborough. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Okay, Al, are we ready for the word of the week? So ready, Val. So ready. Have you heard of this word before? Ersatz. That's E-R. Oh, E-R-S-A-T-Z. I wasn't expecting you to say yes. Weren't you? Ersatz. I'm very well read, you know. Yeah, okay. Do you use it? In saying that, yes and no. I think I've written it a few times in feature articles and things like that. Really? I have, yes. Wow, that's I have. great. I haven't. <laughs> well, I'm not going to take. I mean, I'm not going to take the fun out of it for you. So I'm going to just. I'm going to sit here and pretend I've never heard of it before, and let you explain it to me. 
No, you don't have to pretend that's okay. So this is a word that comes from the German word for replacement. And according to the Macquarie Dictionary, it means serving as a substitute. So you might say something like vegetarians often like ersatz meat dishes. Mm. Ersatz. There you go. If you use that as your word of the week or if you use that in a blog post, uh, please do ping us. We'd love to see how you've used the word of the week. We would. Yes. All right. Shall we move on to our writer in residence? Let's move on. Who have we got for us this week, Belle? Okay, so we have Anna Daniels. Now, Anna Daniels has written um, the book Girl In Between and it's uh, it was such a great chat. Anna is obviously really good talent. She is a um, television presenter, also radio um, uh, announcer as well. She really loves writing comedy and she started this um, story initially as a screenplay, but as she began writing her screenplay, she realized it was actually going to be a full-blown novel. And Anna actually entered this into the Vogel and mm-hmm. was ultimately shortlisted. Uh, but although she did not win the top prize, um, Alan and Unwin, in particular the publisher Louise Thurtell, who has previously been on our podcast, recognised that there was a real story there and they worked with her to turn what was really a short kind of novella into a full-blown book. So let's have a listen to Anna Daniels. Thanks so much for joining us today, Anna. Thanks very much, Valerie. Now, for readers who have not yet read your book, which is Girl In Between, tell us what it's about. (laughs) Well, basically, Girl In Between is about that moment in a woman's life when you're at a crossroads and you don't really know where to turn. So, Girl In Between traces the journey of Lucy Crichton. She's back in Rocky. She's a bit lovelorn. She followed her ex up to North Queensland with disastrous consequences and uh, she's really sort of in between relationships, careers and cities and she doesn't really know what she wants to do next, uh, Valerie. She's living back at home with her parents. She doesn't know how she got there. She's in her early 30s. Everyone else seems to have their life sorted out. So it's really following um, the journey of Lucy and her wild best friend Rosie as they try to sort of get their lives back on track. (laughs) I love it. And now is this um, semi-autobiographical perhaps? (laughs) Well, that's the question everyone asks me, Valerie. And my answer is that, you know, as a debut author, I think perhaps you write about what you know about. So in some respects, it is um, autobiographical. Lucy's a journalist and I'm a journalist. Um, She's sort of at a stage where she's finding her feet. And I think when I wrote Girl In Between, I was feeling uh, very much like that. But I can also say that it is fiction, Valerie. If you flip over over the back of my book, you'll see this one word on the back that says fiction. And I I often point that out to people. But no, I mean, it's it's very um, comic and, and exaggerated and yeah. Yes, very much fiction as well. And now how did the idea for this book form? Did you kind of it, – it, it just hit you like a bolt of lightning one day and go, I'm going to write this book or did it well, evolve over time? 
No, well, it's it's funny because I started out writing Girl in Between as a screenplay because I've always loved comedy um, that has heart but also sort of makes you think and, and makes you laugh out loud but is quite poignant. So I loved like Muriel's Wedding growing up, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Gavin and Stacey, the British TV series. And I'd always had grand ambitions of creating a romantic comedy Aussie series for the small screen. So I initially sort of found myself with time and space on my hands in 2013 and I started writing it as a screenplay. But as I was writing, I realized that the characters and the storyline really had a depth that lent themselves more to a novel format. Mm. And with the subject matter, um, I was in my early 30s and I kept hearing all these hopes and concerns and dreams echoed throughout my social circle of friends, all about, you know, the conundrums as a woman that you face in your 30s because you're not in your carefree 20s anymore. Suddenly you're in this decade where, you know, there's a bit more responsibility and there's this expectation that you might have sort of figured things out by now. Mm. And I sort of want to, wanted to capture that moment in time where, you know, you're in your early 30s, but you don't really know what you're doing and things sort of haven't gone to plan. Mm. And it's, it's that quest to sort of figure out what do you really want from life. Yeah. And had, had you always wanted to be a writer or did you ever want to perform or yeah. because you say you write <laughs> comedy. So, so have you always wanted to be in this space? Yeah, absolutely, Valerie. When I was a little girl, I grew up in Rockhampton, a, um, a regional town in central Queensland, and I just devoured like Ina Blyton, Anne of Green Gables was my favourite, mm. Roald Dahl, Paul Jennings, and I was a voracious little reader and I always loved writing. I think I was penning stories when I was five years old. So, yeah, wow. absolutely. And now to become a published author and to see my book on the shelves is, is just a dream come true, really. And, um, yeah, I'm still pinching myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we talk more about your writing process for this particular book, you do write comedy. So when you write comedy, tell us a little bit about the process. What? How do you actually um, structure what you're going to say or, or, or write? How do you actually write it? Do you start off with a joke? Do you start off with mm. an idea and then build a joke onto it? How does it work? Well, for me, I've, I've, yeah, as you say, I've done a lot of comedy writing. I've done stand-up and I often write my own stories and present them for the project. And with my comedy, I, I see myself as a comic storyteller, um, telling stories in a, a heartfelt, affectionate way, but also in a self-deprecating way. So my modus operandi is I love making people laugh. And if it's at my expense, you know, then all the better. So when I'm writing a script for the project, I'll start with a central idea of, of all the gags that I'd love to work into that script and then think about how I could structure the storyline to sort of um, to encourage those gags to come out. And my writing uh, for the project is very much um, uh, heavy with puns. I love to play on words. Um, with Girl in Between, I was um, I just went to town, Valerie, with some of the dialogue that these characters are saying to each other. And with that, I was reading the dialogue log out aloud to myself as I was writing it and actually to be honest I was cracking myself up with some of the <laughs> I was uh I was just sort of writing away here in my Paddington unit in Brisbane and my neighbours probably thought I was mad because I was often just cackling away so for me um comedy has to be authentic and it has to have heart but it also you know you just have to laugh like I my my aim in life is to make people laugh but in a in a sort of affectionate sort of heartfelt way that also makes you you know, sort of pulls at your heartstrings. Where did that come from, the drive to make people laugh? 
Well, I'm one of five kids. I grew up in a big, crazy, chaotic family in Rocky. And there was always growing up in my family, mum and dad had a great sense of humour. And there was always the sense of seeing the hilarious in the, in the tragic. Mm. So if there was ever a sad situation, it was always flipped around so that you'd be laughing rather than crying. And, you know, and, and also I think maybe just growing up in a town like Rocky, which is probably similar to, similar to a lot of regional towns in Australia, you sort of get this appreciation of the ridiculous things in life, like um, just because everyone knows everyone, everyone's bumping into each other all over the place, and you learn not to take yourself too seriously. Um, you know, in a country town where people call a spade a spade, and um, I've, I've just always, I, I loved performing from a young age. I was always up on the Estedfords, on the Estedford stage is making people laugh, and yeah, I'm, I'm happiest when people are chuckling, and if it's in, at my own expense, Valerie, then that's, you know, all the better for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned Anne of Green Gables and Roald Dale. Now, they're not exactly uh, comedic. Where did your comedic influences come from? Uh, my comedic influences, well, my grandma had a wicked sense of humour um, and she, uh, my parents were both pharmacists in, in Rocky and it was mm. quite funny because they both owned their own pharmacy but they were competing against each other, which was <laughs> quite, <laughs> can you imagine, which was quite hilarious. And my grandma um, was always out the back of my mum's pharmacy cracking people up with bawdy jokes and um, <laughs> she had a wicked sense of humour. And I think, you know, from an early age, because mum was working so much, my grandma was a really prominent person in our lives. And I think, you know, my sense of humour probably developed from uh, from her. But there's also just just pictures of me when I was a little kid and it almost looks like I've always got a, a joke on my lips. I think <laughs> I was just born with this silly sense of humour that, you know, just delights in the absurd and the ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so you started writing Girl In Between as a screenplay. At what point did you think, you know what, it's actually not going to work as a screenplay, I'm going to turn it into a novel? Well, I think I'd written the pilot script for the screenplay oh. and and I had sent it into um, the ABC and I'd sent it into um, a production company in the BBC and they both said they, you know, they really enjoyed it but they'd need it to be fleshed out a lot more. And I sort of thought, well, you know, if I'm going to flesh it out more, why don't I just try to flesh it out as a novel? And mm. I sort of um, – and, and that's sort of when I changed tact. Um, but the funny thing is, Valerie, like when I changed tact, I completed it in 2013 – over a period of six months and I got it to about 38,000 words and then I just sort of essentially stopped and I thought, oh, well, that that's it. I've told my story mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't really until 2015 I was um, – I, I sort of remembered it again. I remembered that I'd, that I'd done this and I tried to, to think about getting it published and I was on the Allen and Unwin website and I think I came across the Vogel Awards mm. um, which were, um, of course, course for an unpublished writer aged under 35 Mm -hmm. and I was 34 at the time and I thought oh well I better give this a go and I saw that the minimum word count for the Vogels is 38,000 words and mine was 38,230 perfect yeah and I thought oh well I'll tick that box too and um so I admit I submitted it to the um to the Vogels but I never really thought much of it until early 2016 I got the most exciting email from Alan and Unwin 
mm-hmm. saying that I was progressing through the rounds and I almost fell off my chair, Valerie, you know, <laughs> when you get that sort of email. And then in early February of last year, I got a phone call saying um, from Annette Barlow, the, the head judge of the Vogels at Allen and Unwin, saying that my um, my manuscript was going to be shortlisted for the Vogel Award. And that was just, you know, in a writer's life, that was just an incredible and an incredible moment, mm. really. And so, absolutely. Um, so from there, shall I just shall I continue telling you the story? Please <laughs> tell me the story. <laughs> so from there, I think I sort of knew Valerie in the back of my mind that at thirty-eight thousand words, my novel wouldn't really sort of take out the Vogels because it was quite short. Right. But I, uh, but I also knew that um, my dearest hope with it all was that I would meet a publisher who would recognise the potential and promise in my writing and wish to work with me to get it to a stage where it could be published. That was my dearest hope for my manuscript at that stage. And mm. whilst I'd been on the Allen and Unwin website, I'd done a bit of stalking, of course. Of course. And I saw that. <laughs> I saw that there was this publisher um, who worked for Allen and Unwin called Louise Thurtell. Mm. And I did a bit of digging about Louise and I saw that she really loved champion, championing rural and regional writers because she sort of thought that, um, you know, a lot of people from country areas and smaller towns can feel a bit daunted by the publishing process and she really liked telling the stories of rural and regional Australia mm-hmm. and she grew up in Orange yeah. and, of course, I grew up in Rockhampton, a country town in, in uh, central Queensland. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, you know, if there's ever anyone who I might click with, it might be Louise. <laughs> so I went to this glittering party um, atop the Allen and Unwin Terrace in Sydney, Valerie, and it was just incredible for, for you know, like a, a writer like myself who's not had not been on the national stage to walk into this party and look around and just see a who's who of the publishing world. Like I look left and there's Thomas Keneally <laughs> and I look up right and there's Jennifer Byrne from the book club and I just thought him I just thought I knew in my heart that I really had to be on my A game that night so of course I took along my mum and dad as backup <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because I said to someone at the party I'd love to meet Louise Thurtell and she went and got Louise and introduced us Great. and yeah, and from that moment, Louise and I, we, we just clicked immediately, I think, because we're both from the country and z- just sort of got each other. Mm. And Louise said to me, did you bring anyone tonight? And I said, oh, yeah, I brought my mum and dad. And uh, she said, oh, I'd love to meet them. So I, it was funny because I introduced Louise to my mum and dad. And then I turned around and, and went to the bar and got them all drinks. And when I turned back, I saw that mum and dad just had Louise trapped between them on a couch. <laughs> she, she wasn't getting anywhere. And, I went over to them and I was like, oh, um, Louise, you know, do you need me to save you from my dad? And she said, no, I love your dad. And I so, so I thought, all right, I'll, I'll leave you all to it. And I went, <laughs> I went off and just kept networking my way around the party. And it's so funny because at one point I think my dad, who's, you know, a very country Aussie bloke and, um, you know, calls a spade a spade, he turned to Louise at one stage and he said, so are you going to be able to help out this daughter of mine or not, Louise? And apparently Louise said, well, I mean, you know her manuscript's too short she'd need to write another 40,000 words and apparently my dad said oh Louise she'd do that in her sleep (laughs) and uh, 
he told me this the next day and I said to him, God, Dad, thanks for saying that. I'm not going to get any sleep now if I have to do that, right, 40,000 <laughs> words. But Louise was just so lovely and um, and she said to me at the end of the party, look, send me your manuscript and I'll have a look at it and tell you my thoughts. And um, I sent my manuscript to her and within a week of me sending it to her, she wrote back and said, I loved Girl in Between. Um, I hope that we can work together and turn it into an amazing novel. I think you have the talent to do so. And I just thought, oh, my God, this woman is amazing. And um, But it is still quite funny because when I remind Dad of the Vogels party, he still um, tells all his friends that he actually got me a publishing deal. It was his sweet talking, <laughs> Louise. <laughs> and, of course, that's a great story because it shows you the importance of researching your publisher and making sure that you are trying to connect with the publishers that are most likely going to resonate with you. But yeah, also yeah. a lesson in when you actually add an event, a lot of people are daunted and don't ask to be in, introduced to people and and good on you for taking that step and making sure you connected with Louise as well. Oh, absolutely, Valerie. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Louise had that country background and I, I just sort of knew that we might be able to connect on that level. Mm. And I also knew that, you know, as you say, sometimes as, as a new author on the scene, you only get one shot really at these big networking events. And so I just, you know, sometimes you feel a bit daunted, but I just had to step up to the mark and just say, look, I'd like to meet Louise. And she looks back on that night too. And she said, <laughs> and she says, geez, I just thought your, your parents were uh, lovely country people, but now I realize I was being expertly bloody schmoozed by them. So <laughs> she's uh, she's got a cracking sense of humor, Louise, and, and we sort of have really gotten along like a house on fire. So you obviously wrote the extra 40,000 or whatever words and that became the final novel. Now just tell me when you are in when you were in the um, day-to-day of writing mm. did you commit to that full time? Did you write on weekends? Did you set yourself a word count target each day? How did it actually work on a practical level? Yeah, on a practical level, I, I set myself a word count each day. I, re- I was really pleased with myself if I got over 700 words a day and gave myself an extra pat on the back if I was able to do about 1,200 words a day. During that period, um, which was about six months of mm. solid writing, wow. I, could do, I could do nothing else. because. Really? I could not. I could do nothing else because I had these deadlines. And and the funny thing, Valerie, is that from the day I was shortlisted at that Vogels Award party mm. last year to this year when my novel is on the shelves, it's exactly a one year period. Mm. So I th- I don't know if it's unusual or not for an author to um, be that intensely writing a manuscript over such a short period of time. But it was all consuming, and wow. um, I I really couldn't have achieved. Um, working as well um, during that period because um, Louise was there to sort of cheer me on from the sidelines, of course, and guide me. But I just had so many words to uh, to write. Was it full time? How many hours a day would you have dedicated to it in that six months? No, eight, eight hours a day. Wow. And so how did you support yourself? 
that was the that's been the toughest thing about about the journey. Um, mm. Of course, you get an advance, um, but you know, um, in terms of the practicalities of paying rent and stuff, I've uh, I had did have to have a few IOUs from my younger sister Sally, <laughs> mm. <laughs> who I've assured it will all be worth it one day. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's funny because I've been doing a lot of um, events, lovely events with Louise in my hometown of Rocky. And, and she said to me, I didn't realize, you know, how intense it was for you to be riding that much during that period. And I mm. said to her, the intensity wasn't wasn't the hard thing. The hard thing, Louise, was pretty much just being broke. <laughs> mm. And, you know, that, that was just the reality of it, though, because I, I knew that to, to give it my best effort and to meet the deadlines, that, that was the commitment that was required. So, Sure, that's very committed. Mm. So you hand in your manuscript. There's obviously a gap of a few months between when you hand that in and the release date. So... Um, what have you been doing since? Since then, well, I've been continuing to present on the project. Um, just recently, when my hometown of Rocky was flooded with those uh, with the uh, crazy system from Cyclone Debbie, I was up yes. there doing stories for the project, and I did a, another report for them about the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Darwin. Um, so I continue to write and present for the project. Sometimes I'm writing and um, I'm not writing, presenting on a freelance basis for ABC Radio here in Brisbane. Um, so. So I've just sort of been picking up bits and pieces of work um, since finishing Girl in Between. Mm. I don't have a full-time job, but I'm also realising now that my book is out, a lot of my energy now is focused on the actual spreading the word yes. of, of my debut novel because as a debut author, you know, as your listeners would understand, you don't have that established name. And Louise has said to me, you know, it's fantastic that I'm, I'm committing so much of my energy to actually now getting my book out there because um, the first six weeks are quite critical. Mm, absolutely. So now what have what's your view on writing fiction? Is this now your thing or do you <laughs> want to combine it with other things or what's the uh, plan? Yeah. You love the plan. Well, I've I've loved it. I've loved every minute of working with Louise, and I, I've loved the process of of writing Girl in Between. But really, what my grand plan for it is now is I'd love for it to be picked up by a production company, and sort of then realise its initial genesis of becoming a TV series, mm. a romantic comedy TV series. And I'd love to be involved in that process as a screenwriter. Mm. Um, and we've had some interest so far from production companies. Um, and it's very exciting because it's going to be made into an audio book. And I've heard that the rights have been sold to Germany. And, you know, apparently there's interest in the UK. So mm. I'm, I'm just sort of taking one step at a time with it, Valerie, because I've learned that, you know, in this industry, you have to hang in there because you just don't know what's around the corner with it all. So that's my, my dream next for Girl in Between. And in terms of writing um, fiction again, uh, Louise is sort of gives me a few elbows in the ribs and says I should be working on my next novel. Yes. Um, but I just feel like, to be honest, my head and my heart is still so invested in this. Right. And I think I think you hold your breath a bit and just, you know, you hope it all goes really well. And um, and, and that's sort of where my headspace is at the moment. What was the hardest thing or the most challenging thing about the writing process? 
Well, um, I changed it all. So from that initial manuscript that I'd mentioned to you at 38,000 words that I'd sent to Louise after the vocals and she'd read it, um, she made a couple of suggestions to me. She said to me, does Rosie have to die? (laughs) Because Rosie is one of the central characters, one of the 30-something-year-old best friends, and she's just this wild, lovable, devil-may-care, laissez-faire attitude, says what she thinks, doesn't care what people think about her. And and I in the original uh, manuscript I had her dying and and Louise said to me does that really need to happen she's like my soul sister she's one of my <laughs> she's my favorite character wow. and so I completely rethought um, the whole latter chapters of, of my manuscript and mm. I completely changed it all and it's it's funny because Louise recently read my initial manuscript um, a couple of weeks ago because we were doing these events and she said to me gee I forgot how much you actually turned it all around and she said it was quite quite an incredible feat what you achieved. So I, I I think that was the challenging part was that it wasn't that I was just adding words and fleshing out the storyline from that initial manuscript. It was that I was totally, totally changing the whole sort of storyline and really creating a lot of work for myself. Mm. But in, in saying that, I'm really very pleased that I did change it and I'm really pleased with, with what I uh, what the final outcome is with Girl in Between. And what's been the most rewarding thing about the process? To me, oh, really, uh, one of the rewarding things is oh, actually, there's a few things. Mm. Um, I'm getting reviews coming back, and people oh, yes. have been saying that they've been laughing and crying uncontrollably at the same time. <laughs> and I've been hearing that people just um, think it's a love letter to Australia and a great celebration of Australia and friendship and, and everything Aussie. Mm-hmm. And um, to to read those reviews where people have just got it, have got what I exactly intended to achieve with Girl In Between has been so sort of heartwarming for me. Mm. And then the other thing that I've really loved about the whole process is going, because I live in Brizzy now, but I've been going back to Rocky and and I had a little launch there and went back to my former high school. And it was just so lovely for me to be able to chat with people and schools and stuff and let them know that, you know, you don't have to be based in a big city to achieve these big goals. Mm. And also that you can set a book anywhere. I've set mine last largely in my regional hometown of Rockhampton and yet it's resonating with people all over Australia and overseas. So you don't have to live in a big city to have a big life. That, that's that been um, really lovely for me to show people that you can really be based and write anywhere. And what a great message. And on that note, thanks so much for your time today, Anna. Thanks, Valerie. It's been a pleasure. There you go, Anna Daniels. Well, it was a great interview and it's really interesting as a follow-up to our conversation with Louise Thurtell of a few weeks ago because, you know, she talked about the fact that she had worked with Anna to take mm. that, you know, from basically from a novella up to novel length and I thought that was a really interesting um, thing because we discussed, you know, how much publishers are willing to actually work with um, with writers, with authors to make sure that that, um, you know, to get that novel, that manuscript idea up to something that they can actually Publish and um yeah it's really interesting and I think it's such a shame um we just heard recently of course that Louise Thurtell has is actually leaving Alan and Unwin mm. um but of course the Friday pitch which she uh, established there is will remain so you can still you know send your um, manuscript the first chapter of your manuscript into Alan and Unwin on Fridays and it will be assessed by their uh, manuscript team and hopefully 
someone's going to give you a call and say, I'd like to see the whole thing. That would be ideal, yeah. wouldn't it? Mm. Such a good, such a good initiative, isn't it? Yeah, it's terrific. All right. So let's move on to you've been trawling around on Instagram, haven't you? Not trawling around. You're, you're just very active on Instagram these days despite many years of saying, oh, I'm not on Instagram. No, that's right. I, it's, I've been a grumpy old woman who's come around to Instagram. Um, yeah, no, I, I wrote a post last week which has proved to be really popular. Um, of course, I, I did one several weeks ago called Five Australian Author Instagram Accounts I Love uh, where I shared five different, obviously, Australian author Instagram accounts I love Um, and I've done a follow-up to that with six more Aussie author Instagram accounts I love and I just um, I thought it was worth uh, mentioning to our readers because uh, our listeners rather because um, I think when you're sort of it's it's great to have a look at what other people are doing and how they're using a platform and whether or not you might be able to use the platform in that way because I think that people get um as I did, freaked out by Instagram with this notion of, you know, I'm a writer, you know, Mm. I don't do pictures and what would I take pictures of and nobody needs to see, you know, pictures (laughs) of my pontificating of the world or or my breakfast or whatever it is that people do. (laughs) Um, But in actual fact, people, and, you know, there's a lot of Australian authors who are using Instagram in really interesting ways. Like Mm. Oliver Pomavan, who we Mm. have interviewed on the on the podcast is obviously yes. uh, he's a very funny he's a stand-up comedian and children's book author um, and his Instagram is very popular with uh, with kids my son book boy who of course reviews books loves the Oliver Pomavan uh, Instagram account and the reason he loves it so much is that Oliver is, seems to be on an, a mission to try every burger in the known universe and he <laughs> actually shares photos of his burgers on a regular basis, and he recently put up his 100th burgergram. Oh um, my goodness! Yeah, if you're a 13 year old boy, which book boy is, it's like a it's like a life goal. Uh, Oliver is actually just fulfilling his life goal for him there. Um, but he shares a lot of you know great. You know, he shares a lot of stuff about his books, but also his um, he he does a very very good author talk in schools and stuff like that, and he shares images of that kind of thing. And it's it's just a it's a really nice approach because he gets not only readers uh, of the thirteen year old variety, but also you know he's appealing to other authors. He's appealing to um, you know different people in, in the sort of publishing world, different networks and stuff like that. It's it's, it's interesting to see how he uses it. Um, so mm-hmm. he's one person that I've shared in this post. Um, another person who I uh, really love on Instagram is Emily Gale. She's a uh, the author of four novels for children and YA, including last year's um, book, The Other Side of Summer, which was incredibly popular and which came with, I think, a CD. She had a friend who created a song and it went with oh. the book. Yeah, so that was part cool. of her inspiration for the book and things. Um, but she does share it. She also is a bookseller. She was um, She's a kids buyer at readings in Melbourne. I'm not sure if she's still there, but she definitely was. Um, and she's been in the book industry for 20-odd years. So she has this vast knowledge of, of Australian children's literature. She's very, very active in the Love Oz YA movement. Um, mm. And she shares a lot of – she takes part in a lot of the sort of challenges that take place on Instagram. So people will post a list of, of 30 different – sort of topics or subjects or prompts and then you know you have to find a book that fits that particular prompt and she does a lot of that kind of stuff which is really a really great way to use Instagram because it's um there's a lot of people jumping on those hashtags and it's a way to get your profile in front of a lot of people in a really short space of time and she does a lot of that kind of stuff but she's also very very 
supportive of other Australian authors and she comments a lot. Yes. Like she's in there talking um, and she's also, uh, she and again, Bookboy. Uh, so my son is on Instagram as BookboyAU and she's very supportive of him as well. She knows he's a young book blogger and she's always there sort of, you know, encouraging him and she's just a really great, you know, participant. And I think that that's um, often overlooked by people who are building a platform is the importance of that participation. So I think it's worth um, having a look at what Emily um, does because it's a way to use Instagram without sharing a huge amount of your, because people get very freaked out about, oh, I've got to share my personal life. Well, she's she's not really doing that. No. What she's doing is sharing her reading taste. She's sharing other people's books a lot. She's, you know, but you're getting a real sense of her through that because, you yes. know, it's books I love and all that sort of thing. So they, those are just two of the ones that I've shared in the um, in this post about six Aussie author Instagram accounts I love. Um, all of the people that I've chosen use Instagram in slightly different ways um, and I think it's worth having a look at what other people do so you can work out how maybe you'd like to use Instagram or how yep. you could use Instagram to build your, your author platform, you know, in the future. Definitely worth, you know, checking out what other people are up to. And if you want to check out Alison's post, you'll find that link in the show notes, which of course you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au along with any other resources and links that we talk about in the episode. Now, also when you're building your author platform, I think that that's so important to not only potentially check out Instagram, which you may decide is or is not for you, but I think it's very important to include something in your author platform, whether that's Instagram. Instagram or not. And um, if you want a blueprint on exactly how you can build your author platform, and remember, the best time to start building your author platform is before your book comes out, is while you are still writing. Even if your manuscript or novel or draft is just the seed of an idea, if you hope to be there one day, it's never too early to start building your author platform. In fact, the earlier you start, the better it's going to be for you when you finally launch. So that blueprint you can find in Alison's fantastic course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which uh, if you want to find out more, go to writerscenter.com.au slash platform. That's writerscenter.com.au slash platform. All right. In the meantime, Al, I think we've come to the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And what about you, Val? Where are we going to find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook as well. Just search for Valerie Koo and I'm the one in Sydney. And, um, of course, you can find everything in the show notes at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.